Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of DTI YDK. Don't talk if you don't know the unofficial official power rankings of North American team fight tactics. <laughs> I can't. People who are just listening on audio, Bryce's cat is just assaulting <laughs> Bryce's camera. Oh, man. How you doing, Bryce? <laughs> I'm doing great. I, I'm hanging out with you. I'm hanging out with Linguini. It's oh. been a rough rough week i know you've had a rough week as well but we actually talked about canceling the show because we were both so wiped last night and we we're both like nah fuck that this is the part of the week that we look forward to we got to do it absolutely i mean being able to chill and talk about tft also maybe you know hype up a little bit about what's to come there's a lot to break down so let's just go ahead and first talk about what's happened since the last episode as we always do in the very beginning the intros so bryce how's the past week been i guess we've been having we've been doing more frequent episodes only because the tournament's been happening so uh so often this uh yeah we're basically going weekly it's too fun uh Things have been good for the last week. I mean, my nanny, actually, we're now on backup nanny. So la the last two weeks I didn't have childcare because my nanny had COVID. And then she had scheduled PTO this week. So we got a backup nanny and then the backup nanny got COVID. So it's been rough times in the Blum household. We're really trying to duct tape it all together between work and childcare and life and, you know, also TFT. But uh, this, is the, this is the part of the week I've been looking forward to the whole time. Excited to be here. Same, same. Uh, my week's been pretty good. I've been mainly doing a lot of Twitch Rivals stuff. There's just been a big show going on. You may have seen like Rust category really pop off if you browse around the site. Yeah. That's just something me and my team has been I've been putting together. Uh, really cool event. Oh man, is it tiring? It's five days nonstop action. I've been trying to play TFT on the side, just kind of like I just felt like I needed to get TFT jimmies out. Uh, but by playing distracted, I think I ran down like 400 LP or something. Like some games I legitimately just like, I had to AFK and actually just die because I was in the middle of doing stuff. But that's okay because I feel like um, we're in the part of the set where yeah. I think people are just playing to keep the reps up and still have fun. And for some people, they want to push to rank one or challenger or match, whatever their goal is. Uh, for me, I just want to play some good TFT. I've had some really fun lines, which I think we can relate to some of the parts of the show today because I got inspired by some players that we watched. So for people who don't know, this part of the show or this type of episode is a recap of the previous tournament we're doing a review show we do preview shows we do power rankings and then we do review shows where we do highlights performance ratings get into the nitty-gritty detail with just myself and bryce so this week's episode is to talk about jade cup that happened over the past two weekends we'll be mainly focusing on day three and four with the results and so let's pull up said results starting with the day three scores boom all right, so the first uh, thing we want to do here is just get initial reactions here, Bryce. Who are some of the people that you know stood out to you the most? What were some of the disappointment, disappointing or the upsets, the biggest shockers? I mean, I was super bummed at how how much uh, Appy has struggled in this tournament. Uh, he, I, I mean, I really don't think this is his set. I, we talked about a lot of what the set has done. I think this set has been really good for less fluid, creative players of TFT. It has been more linear basically every patch since inception. And there's been a lot of balance thrash, so it's been linear and different. You've been shooting at different directions, but ultimately you've been playing very similar stylistically, albeit sometimes around three cost reroll or sometimes around four cost, sometimes around dragons um so not shocking to see him struggle but it was his worst tournament performance that i can remember in a while he just did not have it at all 
Um, and then on the flip side, I mean, Pocky doing as well as he did consistently with COVID was incredibly impressive. I think both you and I think really highly of Pocky's play, but because of the COVID factor, we weren't sure exactly what to do. So those would be some highs and lows for me. How about you? Yeah, I agree with both those fronts. And we'll talk about maybe those players a little bit more in detail moving forward. Obviously, I think the first thing that I'm surprised you didn't mention was the coming out party for Rainplosion. I True. think Rainplosion's win was, you know, something that just is, is a really good inspiration for a lot of other people who want to compete in TFT tournaments. They look at Milk, they look at Sox, they look at Robin, some of the greatest North American tournament performers. And people usually think one of two things. One, ah, oh, I could do that. Like any this play this game is all luck. You know, who cares? Just TFT just hit, whatever. And then the other people say, there's just no way I could ever put an amount of time and invest in and grind my way to the top. I, you know, it's just so hard. And I think both those camps have a little bit of merit, but are mostly wrong. I think the story of Rainplosion is really inspiring because it shows you what hard work can really do and, and dedication to the craft. TFT is a game of, of, of being able to try and constantly strive for perfection. It's not about being perfect. It's about aiming for it. And you can really tell by just seeing Rainplosion, how much effort she puts into playing the game and also studying and being in chats and asking meaningful questions all the time when I'm bot reviewing it's great to see her uh, be involved. So that for me was a big highlight. I also really love seeing Pokemon pop off. Um, and, and I think that it's really cool to see uh, not just Pocky, but Milk and Bert also be really consistent and really live up to the expectations that everyone puts them up to. How scary would it be, Bryce, if we put Bert number one as our power rankings and then he just flames out on the first day again? It felt validating yeah. for us. It definitely happens sometimes, right? Like there's enough variance in TFT and you can misjudge someone's form going in. Even if you judge their form correctly, they might have a bad read on the meta and really struggle as a result of that. So you never know exactly how it's going to shape out. But yeah, Bert was a monster the whole weekend. Milk did what Milk always does, which is go into the tournament saying he's going... You know, whatever the last place in the field is, that's what Milk tells you he's going like an hour before the tournament starts. And somehow he's always in the top eight. That's right. That's right. And I mean, last time he missed out on tiebreakers and got ninth, yeah. right? So he couldn't even play for the final. This time yeah. he gets the tiebreaker, but he gets in. So, hey, just stick with it. And sometimes, it, you know, fortune favors you. In this case, though, Milk, just, you know, being able to get to the top eight, I think in his own words, it just felt like there was nothing to play for. I think the format for Jade Cup has started showing a little bit of what the planning was trying to intend to do. Um, but also some of the weaknesses of it. So in terms of the intention, the first thing that I have to call out is Rainplosion, as you can see on the left side, came in with three extra points. And lo and behold, if you look at the final, which I'll pull up here, Rainplosion won by three points. So you see the point carryover, the yep. way it was intended. That is the reward for Rain doing well, as opposed to the last game being just a tiebreaker three-way. That would feel so bad if Robin, Foggy, and Rain were three-way tied for first. Yeah, this is a great outcome from my perspective. Rain should be rewarded for scoring well on day three. The big thing we run into as it relates to TFT tournaments is everyone, all the pros always say there's too much variance. There's you know too few games in a tournament for it to really matter. And I think that's all fair take. Obviously, we cannot play infinite games of TFT in a day. People don't want to watch that. People don't want to play that much. It's exhausting, particularly in a tournament format. So giving a reward to someone who performed extra well the day before, I think is something that should happen in every TFT tournament moving mm -hmm. forward. The other side of it, 
which is some players are saying, look, I go into the last lobby with nothing really to play for, right? Milk said I was like 10 points behind Robin. Like, there's just no way unless I outplace him by five placements in two games. And that, that's just that's just way too much of an expectation. So there's a little bit of this, they're too far ahead. What am I really playing for dynamic? And the second part is for whatever reason, there's probably a couple of theories that we have, but Jade Cup's points are weighted more than Astral Cup. Therefore, players that flamed out in days one and two and didn't make it to day three and four were on the verge of potentially losing out simply because they played it better, you know, they, they had better results in Astral Cup versus Jade. And that's kind of sparked a little bit of of a little bit of anger from the players. They were just like, they were really frustrated by this dynamic. Where do you sit on this fence, Bryce? I think that we should be in the middle. I don't think it is correct that just because they're serving a similar role in the competitive field that Jade and Astral should be identical. TFT as a game evolves a lot over the course of a set. And in this situation, these tournaments are played like two months apart, basically. So a lot has changed in TFT. You could have been in form and Astral, out of form later on. Um, and so when you really like think about it, I just don't know why it would be it would be smart to qualify to mid-set based co-equally on these two things. But I also, looking at some of the practical differences, it did feel a little bad how far apart the two tournaments were in terms of possible impact on qualification. Yeah, I understand why they want to do it in terms of just an organized perspective. You want to give the idea that people can make a comeback if they start later than have a good showing in Astral Cup. But I, it also, exactly for what is the arguments against it, the continuity of it, right? This kind of structure works more in a league-based system as opposed mm -hmm. to a tournament-based system. If you want to give people a chance to spike, that's what tournaments are for. You're not supposed to create an, an additional form of it through, like the, the performance over the course of multiple tournaments is supposed to be the mark of consistency, which I feel like the additional points don't reward. Regardless yeah. of it, we're past it. And I think nothing really major happened because, uh, because some people qualified from top four of Astral and Jade Cup, most of the people that should be getting in are in, but there are a couple of people that will be on the outside looking in, which is disappointing. Do we know who that is? Like, who's the snub list for MSI? I don't actually know. There's nothing confirmed yet. Uh, I think oh. it, I, technically the reason why there's nothing confirmed is because I don't know if the players have officially accepted their MSI invitation. Gotcha. So that's why gotcha. Nature's and Giants there hasn't really said anything. Okay. Um, but if you, again, they listen to a lot of feedback, or at least they hear you. I'm not sure how much they implement all the feedback, because if they did, uh, they would get no format done, because TFT players want different things. Um, so in the end, you know, those points, we'll see if they end up becoming impactful, but let's talk about points that do matter, Bryce, the most important points of them all. That's fantasy draft points. And apparently Bryce scored so much more. He beat me by almost a hundred points in our Jade cup fantasy draft. Bryce, you weren't even there for your victory speech. So I guess you can use this podcast for your platform. The floor is yours. Oh, I am the greatest. I am the best TFT fantasy drafter in North America on planet Earth. It is the only thing on planet Earth where I am the best. Uh, <laughs> with that said, I think this was mostly luck. I think Dan and I actually view the players very similarly and just by draft sequence. And then there's like one or two picks in here that probably we would have done differently <laughs> in the top eight. Um, like I probably wasn't going soulless this event, for example. I don't know. When Dan picked him, my eyebrow raised a little. I was like, okay, maybe Dan knows something I don't. Um, but in general, I actually think this was, this was pretty much 
much just luck. But I'll take it. It's another W to add to my to my trophy mantle. It, it started getting off the rails around the soulless pig. We snake drafted, so I picked Ace of first, which I I did specifically I to, disrupt Bryce, yeah. to disrupt Bryce. To disrupt Bryce. I know Bryce wanted to pick Asa. And so Bryce won the coin flip. He's like, you go first. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to introduce, you know, the 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 spatula opening carousel dynamic. Just throw Bryce off his game. I'm going to first pick Asa. Uh, and I think I was doing well up until the point where uh, Solus Broccoli pressed the event. I think that's where I, I lost control of the Yeah, track. yeah. The, yeah, the P-God, <laughs> the P-God last pick, I was like, okay. <laughs> but like, I, oh. Let's see how this goes. I mean, I wanted, I, I really want to believe. I really want to believe because also my last pick, Chalky, seventy-three points over two days. I mean, that easily could have been pressed a bit. Just unlucky, man. Some of the conversations, right? When you think about it, so the you picked precedent last, but we talked. We literally had a conversation about Pocky, and we were like, "Well, he has COVID, right? Right? Do you know how bad it is? Like, I don't want to pick someone who's like playing at forty percent capacity. So no one picks co- No one picks Pocky." What a mistake. And then in the sleepers, we both talked about Rainplosion. Yes, And neither of us wound up picking her. What a mistake. I know. What a huge mistake. I mean, to be fair, we also considered a couple of other dark horses like maybe, you know, Marcel or Vilay, some of these other players who actually did, you know, Vilay did well, did well, but Marcel did not. So it's it's kind of a crapshoot with some of these. I think our dark horses were doing better than we expected, which was really cool. Also, I had so much fun with the kicker predictions, like, if someone was going to uh, get a 100 HP victory or someone's going to make a 100, 1 HP come from behind victory. Uh, we also had like three-star legendary or if two players would be full streak by 4-1, aka matchmaking RNG where they never fought. If you did get these, you got extra points. Um, and even though I got a couple more extra points, I still got dominated 594 to 507. Yeah. Well done, Soji Bryce. Really, Soji really failed me there, by the way. He had all of the conditions for 12 Jade. He just couldn't get to 9. That's true. That's true. Which we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, the last thing I want to say is this might be the last time we just do it with myself and Bryce. When we did this on stream, a couple people were like, why why can't I get on this? This looks really fun. So if you are interested ever in doing Fancy Draft with myself and Bryce, definitely DM me or, or, or message me if you are a known competitor in the community and personality because someone's got to take down Bryce and it's not me or Soju. So, and we're the two people who have played against him the most in fantasy traps. So, I mean, we so need far, other it's, challengers. It's no one, I'm pretty sure. I, I think I am undefeated. And those other ones were skill. This one felt like more luck. But the other ones, I'm pretty sure I just had a better beat. Yeah. Someone died before 4-2. I believe it was Tempest Life. That's what we were told by the chat. Yeah. I didn't get um the exact game so i don't know exactly off the top of my head but yes that was apparently uh one of the predictions for the kickers that was fun all right with that let's go into our second segment of the show which is the performance ratings so performance ratings are just a first gut impression to start the conversation about some of the players that stood out the most over the weekend so let's start off with just the reveal so right off the bat as you can tell we didn't rate everybody as we did last time around, largely because some of them didn't even compete. Like Nubal, for example, skipped Shape Cup, so can't actually give him a score. Uh, another person that we wanted to include from the top eight was Z Hydration, but I believe he only streams to YouTube and I couldn't find his VODs, so I couldn't rate him. Bryce couldn't find him either. But from that point on, we do have our ratings in front of us, Bryce. Uh, let's start from the top, shall we? Bird and Pocky tied at nine for the best performance of the weekend does that sit right with you 
So really fast, can we do the macro framing? Because I think it's important to note, like we did, okay. you did it last time, where you said, "Hey, look, if you got rated, that is a that's a big deal. Like we we you were either in the top eight or you were someone that we we were interested in your play for some reason. And we wanted to go and look at it. We do it on a scale of one to ten. So five would mean average player in the field of the second weekend of Jade Cup." Um, and so if like someone's lower on this list that they're still much higher than the majority of the field is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's true. So even making it onto this list in general means that is a noteworthy player, because if you didn't make it onto this list, chances are you didn't go very far in the tournament or you're just not even really part of that conversation of who had a great weekend or had a notable weekend. Cause you saw some people for people who are watching this via video, you're seeing some players at the very bottom with some quite poor ratings uh okay so with that being said five means that you've played at the average level right because it's a scale of one to ten somewhere between five and six so a nine means that you're basically playing significantly better and i think bert and pocky had moments of brilliance and you know there's a reason why we don't give them a 10 because there were also times where they made mistakes but I was very impressed, especially with Pocky Gum this weekend. He showed a lot of flexibility, both in terms of his early mid-game and as well as the lines that he was willing to play. I've never seen someone who is so willing to play Scalescorn, despite the fact that it's underperformed so much, Bryce. Yeah, and he had he had, he was live by the sword, die by the sword there, right? It wasn't just the scale score, and it was all of the different creative lines that Pocky took over the course of the weekend. One of the only players who felt like they're playing actually good team fight tactics if we're being honest right so much of the play was so like commit early play pretty linearly uh, and and pocky was not like that it was disappointing because he what did he finish in the sixth scale scoring game was it third or fourth uh i, I for for pocky I, it was top yeah four. it was top four. i think it was, it was yeah it was top four for sure but so that was that was like all the conditions like he had to get six scale scoring incredibly hard to do two plus ones in a trait that you can't get a spat you can't make a spat for mm -hmm. um and so you know i would have preferred to see him not play that with the tournament on the line like i, I there's a reason why i think a lot of people are leaning away from scale scoring but you know what? It's Pocky. You 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 have to be you have to acknowledge that sometimes he's gonna play off meta and look like a genius, and sometimes he's gonna play off meta and you're gonna leave scratching your head and be like, but Pocky, why? <laughs> it's it's the Pocky gum is to impress everybody for the first like 90% of the tournament, and the game that matters the most, so for some reason, go for a Hail Mary that does not work out. We saw in set five, we just mm -hmm. saw in Jade Cup. The most impressive game was when Pocky was playing a flex rise carry with no mages like he was playing rise two with just like three items i think he had a portable forge and he was just playing around mana thing but a lot of people would play like rise with mages and if you don't have mages in then people would flame you like why are you trying to play rise carry and he was wind streaking with it like into stage four flexing around this concept entirely it was really cool to watch and i just felt like it was one of those moments where i felt like man this guy knows something that i don't uh, about the meta. Like, I just can't really understand what he's going to do. Uh, and then on the other side, let's talk a little bit about Burt. Burt's a player that I think this weekend really showed you why some people hold him in high regard. His ability to, to recognize his spot and immediately understand what he needs to do to, one, make his board strong, and two, his win condition of what he's building towards was on display in Terra Weekend. And I know that's pretty abstract. Like, it's really hard to, to say that without showing you a multitude of examples but there were so many instances where i was just i i just thought i was like well 
this is a interesting spot. You have like three to four options. And then Bert instantly recognizes what he needs to do. And I'm like, wow, that's clearly the best play. And that's so smart because of X, Y, Z reasons. Yeah, I think Bert showed off. If you go back and watch us talking about Bert on the preview show, I felt like he really was putting on display some of the skills that we were talking about, about like what makes him special and different as a player. His mid game in particular is just so damn fluid and excellent. His recognition of strongest board, there are games where he's just like pivoting back and forth very correctly throughout the entirety. He'll play like more, he'll play like stage three and four where his board is changing like every two to three turns on average in a material way. And it always feels right. And it oftentimes feels like other players would have missed the value in those spots and it would could have, could have dramatically altered their games. Yes, very much so. People are asking, where's Robin Songs? Uh, I, for whatever reason, I do not have it because it's an unupdated list. So as I get the updated list, Bryce, uh, please stall for me and talk about yeah, Setsuko. I, I got you. This is actually like the perfect person for me to stall on because I'm pretty sure I want to talk about Setsuko for the next like five to ten minutes. Because, <laughs> okay, all right. Geez. Okay, I won't actually go that long, but I'm saying I could, hypothetically. Yeah. So here's the thing about Setsuko. I there was a long history of people saying Setsuko is just low rolling in tournaments and he is not in fact a ladder warrior. And I watched all those tournaments and I was kind of quiet about it for a little bit because I felt like everyone was saying Setsuko's a, a god, he's just getting unlucky, Setsuko's a god, he's just getting unlucky and I didn't want to be like the outlier opinion. And then eventually I was like, you know, I think that he is a god. I think Setsuko when he plays his best TFT is definitely one of the five best players on the server. Uh, and I think that, that those five best players are like a step above most of them. But he played scared in a lot of these previous tournaments. He didn't play like himself. He made uncharacteristic mistakes. He was at times rushed in turns and it was like, why you had time to figure this out and make a better play. And then at times he would actually like kind of freeze up and not make a play that I think he would make with confidence on the ladder. And when I watched his gameplay at, at Jade Cup, I felt like he had finally gotten over the hump and he had kicked that and we had actually talked on the podcast a little bit about the fact that he felt like hey fuck it the pressure's off like it's hard to go much worse than it's been going for me um and so maybe it just doesn't matter anymore i can i feel like the monkey's off my back and i'll just play my game and he really did he was so good this weekend i would describe him as mid-rolling i think if he had high rolled he would have won this tournament decisively he was every bit in, as good as Bert and Pocky Gom from my perspective in his play. There was like one line at the very end, the final final game where he made some bad choices around itemization, but otherwise he was very similar to Bert, fluid in the mid game making a bunch of good plays, but I feel like his ceiling is like a little bit higher than Bert's. I think he like sees the game at a slightly deeper level than Bert, and so I think when they're both playing outstanding TFT, I would give Setsuko the slight edge even though they play stylistically very similarly. That's really interesting because I'm pretty sure if you ask him, he would say it the flip way that he thinks Bert sees the game a little bit deeply. But he would, for it, sure. it could be just the fact that a lot of TFT players at the very top level, if they have a practice group, especially about play with players that are around equal skill level, they always see like the other person is better, right? Like it's, it's really, really fascinating um, in that respect. So do you have an example of a game moment or if not, that's totally cool, Bryce. But, you know, I'm trying to pull out like moments in the weekend that I think were particularly outstanding for these players. I, you know, I don't know that I do have one because when I uh, when I kind of was reflecting on what I felt like was better about his play, it wasn't that he did anything super flashy. It was that he made us a, a ton of 
decisions that gave him small edges that were paying dividends over the course of the game. So I don't think I have like an individual moment that stick out. I will say that I think it was games three and four where I felt like he back-to-back played really good games mm-hmm. on day four. So if anyone like specifically wants to watch a couple games, I think it was those two, uh, if memory serves. But it might have been four and five. Anyway, yep. he, he was just he, – he played great, great TFT. And for what it's worth, I actually was like – kind of curious so i just reached out to him and asked and i was like hey am i making this up like did you feel more confident in your gameplay and him and i had a really nice back and forth conversation about it where he was he agreed completely he felt like a different player in the moment and that that should be scary if you play competitive team fight tactics because if he can replicate that i tell you this he's gonna be in my top three for the for the dragon cup and if he and if he plays or for mid-set, if he plays, if he keeps playing this way, he's going to wind up being my rank one going into regionals yeah. because I really think his skill ceiling is that high when he plays his game. All right, let's talk a little bit about Milk. Now, Milk is a player that we didn't really agree upon. I want to give him like an 8.5. I was actually ready to bump him up to a 9. I thought he played very well, but I, I, I want to judge him relative to the top end, right? So the top end was a 9 because I just there's a couple of mistakes that I couldn't really let go for Burt, right, when he tilt-rolled. His treasure dragon, he wasted like 15 gold in like two seconds because like, he wasn't even looking at his options anymore. Yeah, and, it's and like, then he wound up with like the worst treasure dragon items. Like if you showed someone yeah. the treasure dragon, you'd be like, oh, so he had like one gold for him. Like, nah, he had 50 gold and right, he right. rolled 20 times and this is what he chose. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to put Milk around that. So I was like, well, I don't know if he was around the same as Burton Pocky, but right below it. So I put him 8.5, you said 8. I still think they'll play an outstanding weekend and it just shows his consistency. And I think what stood out to me the most, this is my anecdote, is that Asa watched Milk perform this weekend and said multiple times, it wasn't just a one-off like hyperbolic statement. He said, I, Milk, this guy, every tournament does well. He is a beast and I am going to learn how he plays and copy his play style moving forward. And I was like, oh, do you mean like try it out, experiment? It's like, no, I'm going to play like milk. <laughs> to the point where I didn't even know how to respond to that because first of all, milk's play style is very hard to replicate. It's not for the faint yes. of heart. And two, it's mm-hmm. so stylistically polar opposite of what Asa likes to do in terms of the way they approach like the beginning and the stage of the game that it makes me feel like, you know, Ace has got a big project on his hand, but if there's a player that I think could learn that, and it's funny that Ace is right below him at eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like Asa could do it. He's really, he's clearly a player that when he sets his mind to do something, he just needs a little, he just needs time. It's an inevitability. He'll get there. Yeah, it would be such a huge stylistic pivot. I wonder if you can actually do it. The only person on the North American ladder who's even come close to replicating is Spencer. Uh, I can't think of literally anyone else who even belongs in that conversation. That's how hard it is. Whereas most of the styles, you kind of have the different families of styles and branches off of those and whatever. But the groups are definitely normally bigger than two. Um, so good luck, Asa. I would love to see you try and, and learn on that journey with you. But that sounds really <laughs> freaking hard. Sounds really hard. Um, I love the, the line milk play too. You know, I think he was very good about his Deja lines. I think he just made a lot of really strong plays across the weekend. So again, I think a lot of people will be evaluating in a vacuum. 8.25 out of 10, does that mean Milk didn't play like as great and elite as people say it is? That's not true. I just think that a couple people play a little bit better and Bryce and I disagreed on the exact placement. Now for Asa, Asa played just a solid weekend. I think it's just like a a strong performance, but nothing particularly outstanding. Uh, And the meta was just 
kind of narrow. And when Jade Corky, those are like two of the lines he's the most comfortable in. So it makes sense that he did reasonably well. Yeah, he did reasonably well. He's he is got to be the best Corky player on the server, at least that I've seen. <laughs> he, he like when he's on Corky line, it is so hard to find mistakes at all. Um, he's just he has a really really good understanding of that tree. Mm. Um, Rain is probably second on that list, right? Like her, her quirky games were really, really solid overall. Um, and she even said in her interview that she watches a lot of Asus. So it was not surprising that right, right. she's at like on, you know, elite on that tree. You know, Asa gets dinged a little bit for just like playing pretty narrowly this weekend in comparison to some of these other folks. Like it felt like Bert and Pocky and Setsuko were finding edges in some stuff that, uh, that Asa wasn't and milk felt a little cleaner to me. Although I think I actually had them basically rated the same. Okay. Uh, let's talk about the other eights. So we had dish soap and Chalky. Uh, let's talk about Chalky first because he is the big surprise alongside Rain this weekend. For people who do not know, Chalky is a former Hearthstone professional player. He was considered at his peak probably top two in North America at one point, possibly pushing rank one. We just didn't really have enough sample size to really know it. And by the time Chalky finally started getting that recognition, he actually spontaneously retired uh, or sorry, at the moment retired and then became a Hearthstone game developer. And that's what he currently does at Blizzard. He's a Hearthstone dev. It's really cool. You know, the, the analogy I use is like, it's, it's a, like Kent Wuhu decided to compete in like Magic the Gathering and then like top eight of Magic Grand Prix. That, that'd be really cool. Uh, that's kind of what happened this weekend with Chaki. Um, he has a really sharp analytical approach and he also is very methodical about how he approaches strategy games in general um and for those of you who don't know he's also kind of a sick gamer he's like challenger at league of legends in the past too and just what any game he's just one of those <laughs> kinds of people that you just hate <laughs> but I admire in some ways um and so chalky came to this weekend as my dark horse pick largely because i see his improvement I, you know I, I i've been kind of keeping small tabs a little bit because he's on my friends list so i was watching his match history and you can just see set after set he was just putting in better and better results and he's also like you bryce he doesn't have much time so when he does play he plays 200 300 games and this dude climbs like he's he, when he's when he's focused he is on it so i i just wanted to see him do well and he popped off he played pretty straightforward like lines he just played what was good in the meta nothing particularly outrageous and i think that's kind of why his score was around the same as asa and even though i don't think chalky played perfect i think he made mistakes um but i think that the mistakes were rooted in strong understanding of what he thinks is good and like i can i can justify that versus some plays that will show by the way later in the show we're going to show some some plays and, and spots I don't know what was going through their heads at all when it was happening. And I think I can really understand that when I look at Chalky's play, which I think is a really cool thing to sh when a player can say with their play and not with their words, what they're thinking. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot to add on Chalky because you have both the history and backstory and you watched more of his play. I really enjoyed what I did get to see. It all felt very into like someone with a good intuitive grasp of the game um which is a really which is really high praise because i watch a ton of players that i would just that i mort sometimes scoffs at me for saying like the ho-hum challenger player right like it someone who's you know spends most of the set stuck around a thousand lp they're very good but they don't they don't often show that kind of promise and i think chalky does that's great uh dish soap did you get a chance to catch dish soap at all a little bit uh a little bit with you from what we when we were doing our co-streams uh, but, I, but I know you watched a lot more of him, so I'm happy to defer to you on Dish Soap as well. 
I mean, Dishop, he played a lot wider than I thought he would. I mean, there was games where he was even doing, like, set reroll uh, throughout the weekend, as well as trying to play Deja. I think what really hung up Dish Soap in particular this, week, this past weekend was he didn't get the Mirage lobbies. It was, like, Electric and Pirate yeah. almost all his lobbies, which is really difficult if his main edge is to play the Mirage lines better than a lot of people. Um, and Dish Soap is one of those highly refined... I'm going to max a line to the utmost and I'm going to play it better than anybody else kind of player. Um, the one, the reason why I, I was going to give Dishup kind of a 7.5, I watched a game that actually helped me bump up the score, which yeah. was he actually played a Soju line. He, he, he 12 loss from stage two to four two and decided to full send it at like 20 something HP with like 70 gold at eight and just did a full roll down. It was kind of cool. I like, I was like, wow, I didn't even realize this style was, kind of even like viable in tournaments right now like, like most people who do this like, like so in contrast right solace which i'll just mention right now solace tried doing those plays and was not really rewarded very often it was first or eight that's why his solace score just for reference 4.5 is the average of going first and eight that's partially why he's at a 4.5 and so i was watching dish so pull this off and he and, and the cool thing was he didn't he actually wanted to play a completely different line and then just went into six whisper siphon and flexed around it it was like whisper jade and then it was like whisper guild and then he went back into six viscous it was just really cool and so moments like that i think is what really proves that you are you can be at the top because you're going to have games where you have this game plan you have to adapt to it and if it's completely out of your comfort zone and yet you're still able to rip out a good result from that what should be an eighth place i thought that was really impressive from Dishlip. Yeah, I completely agree. And this is, like you said, an environment where, yes, if you build your game plan around Mirage, you have to understand that that's going to be tough sometimes, right? There's going to be tournaments where that's really good strategy because you get a bunch of playable Mirages, and there are going to be times when it doesn't feel that way. So for him to be to look this good when he was out of comfort zone for a large amount of the tournament says a lot about where he is as a, mm -hmm. as a player. I felt like he was a promising up-and-comer last set. I felt like he made the leap when I watched his play from region, last regionals to Astral Cup. I thought he was drastically improved, and I felt like he kept that improved form. And if he has, you know, look, if you want to perform really well in a TFT tournament, you got a high roll on some level. Yeah. And I don't think Dish Soap got enough of that to be competitive for the whole tournament. But I think he played well enough to be competitive. Agreed, agreed. Speaking of a player that was competitive all weekend, and yes, the points are slightly intentional. Malala at 7.5, the lone person, slightly above Soju. There's an ongoing meme because before the tournament, we released power rankings, and Soju, I don't know how, got stun-locked on my ballot because I put him 15th and I put Malala at 14th. And for the, the there was a moment in Discord where... Soju posted the same image three times with my ballot, but each successive image was zooming in more and more on Malala over Soju. And he, he went on stream and ranted for a long time, twice, apparently. Yeah. About I thought both of us. Once. He was so mad at me, too. <laughs> oh, and Nature's. Nature's copped some anger as well. Yeah, it, it was really funny. And, and so Soju actually messaged me and Bryce, he's like, I feel so confident I'm down to take bets about anybody you ranked above me. In the end, our bets end up being a wash. Like I bet Appies and Robin and, and that was like a, a wash against Soju. But uh, this is not to take away from Malala. This is not about Soju specifically. I thought Soju played solid this weekend. I think that he had some spots where um, I probably think was a little bit suboptimal. But overall, Soju had a really like 
he, nothing really panned out, right? I think I, look, I think about, like, the Pandora's bench game where he had eight shields for God knows how long. Like, if that was a first, you know, maybe that momentum shifts and all of a sudden yeah. he can change his play style. Like, the whole tournament's a different story. So I thought Soldier did well, but I think what Malala did was show some good fundamental TFT. Yes, Malala's spots were very high roll in some spots where I was just like, man, it's two, stage 2-2 two, two, and you just have a pair of two-cost two-stars. Like, how is that even legal? But there's also times where Malala was playing like weird boards to try to fast eight on. He was playing like a Jade better together siphon <laughs> board to try to fast eight. And it was like, huh? It was like some really weird stuff. Uh, I think Malala showed a lot of promise. And also the interview was really nice. He's such a humble guy. And I really liked this, what Malala brought to the table this weekend. Are you? Did your mic die? <laughs> I thought it was my headset. I thought it was my headset. <laughs> Bryce, I think your mic muted out of nowhere. Uh, I apologize. Hello, can you hear yes, me? I Hello, can hear you. I can hear you. Wow. Oh God, my speech was so good. What was that? <laughs> I, I thought it was my headset because no... my headset showed low battery, so I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no, I have literally no idea. I just went back into Discord and it just reset my mic. Okay, um, all, right, all right, one more time, one more time. Give me this. Okay, okay, I don't remember everything I said. Okay, I literally, okay, I was talking about Malala. I was, okay, right, right, right. I'll do the short version. I think Malala's really good. I think that they were the player that surprised me the most in terms of where I expected to rank them versus where I actually ranked them when you when you looked at when we did our VOD reviews from Astral Cup. And I felt like they maintained that form this tournament, which doing it in two separate tournaments is really impressive, and it shows growth in your game that starts to put you in the tier where i think you become you start to become scary so like in sets past it's been players like asa that i i don't think asa was scary last set i think he's scary this yet and last set was part of his journey i think appy's got scary last set and the set before that i don't think he was scary but he was getting there and there's two players right now that are in that conversation for set seven and it's rain plosion it's malala for me i think they've been mm -hmm. consistent and their play is really solid and shows promise in some areas i think they have clear weaknesses to their game just like i felt like he said clear weaknesses to his game in set six just like i felt like appy's had clear weaknesses to his game in set five but very few people get to the tier they're on right now and if they keep working at it they're gonna get really scary yeah yeah and i think that's a really good summary of it also that's the short version i don't know <laughs> i don't even know the long yeah, version point. Well, I did, like. the, the earlier version i was just talking about malala but then i just in my head bridged it to rain and i was like okay sure, it's sure. actually all these things I'm saying about Mole are just as true about Rain. Sure, sure. Let's uh, so let's talk about Rain. Rain's at seven. Mm -hmm. You know, Riley's in chat. Like, what? That is disrespect. Believe it or not, this seven wasn't even an agreed upon number for myself and Bryce. It was a six mm -hmm. and an eight. I gave Rain Plosion eight. Bryce, you I, rated her a lot lower. Why don't, why don't you talk I, about it? I had her at a 6.5, um, but I think I, I think oh, we okay. rounded to a 7.5, and I think we had a conversation about whether or not we felt like her play was like specifically on the level of Malala or like where she fell relative, and I think that mm -hmm. we knocked her down slightly. I'm surprised that people think of this as disrespect, though. I mean, look, 
You have to divorce in order to win a tournament of TFT. You have to high roll. Period. Yes. Right. We were talking. We were just comparing good players. Right. Bert hits the Deja three with the Pandora's bench and then goes first. Actually, second. You know, as <laughs> fun as fun as that wound up being. Right. Soju doesn't hit the sh the Shiyu. Right. And and it's a, it's a rough game as a result. But from my perspective, uh, like six point five seven is means they played very good TFT. I was so excited about Rain's tournament that I watched all seven of her games that night. So after doing the full co-stream, I literally stayed up to watch all of these games. I feel like I have a very good handle on them. She played really well in Corky line. She had some very thoughtful moments in there. There were some Sona positioning stuff that was really good. There was some really good promise in the way in which she thought about her mid-game boards into Corky. I liked her recognition of like when she needed to roll in stabilization. I thought her macro was excellent overall i would say her macro was in the top five that i saw this tournament um but her micro i think could use a lot of work i think there were you know i think there were extended periods of time where the the positioning felt relatively afk to me and there were times where it felt predictable there were some good flashy moments in there as well um but i think that there were there were things that if we did a full vod review we would say, I want that back. I want that back. I want that back. And there were enough of those things for me that I just couldn't, I couldn't justify giving her like the 7.5 or the eight for this tournament, even though she won, but it doesn't mean she played badly. She played very good TFT and I'm excited to keep watching her play. Yeah. And again, I think this has to do with the relativity of what ratings actually means. Everybody in the field kind of starts off at a five and like, you know, notable things that you do very well, just keep giving you extra points to, help get those to help get the, the the separation from the pack and even getting to like eight and nine is going to be that much harder versus that seven i think rain had good moments i personally put her at eight because i think it's kind of the same as asa it's like well regardless of whether or not some of the micro stuff didn't work out i think in the end tft is a game where there's multiple paths to victory and the path that she chose i think she executed very well so you know, I think maybe seven, if we, if we were to be here for another hour, we'd probably find a number that we're actually happy, maybe 7.25 or 7.5, somewhere around there. But that's okay, because it's just the first of hopefully many tournaments we can see Rain continue to be a contender in. Maybe it's a little bit of bias also, because it's her first time. We don't want to like do, go too crazy about it. Uh, we'll, we'll see how Mizset comes around and if she can keep that up. Oh, she does. All right, so let's briefly talk about Socks. Socks. I mean, he had not a great day. I, I think a lot of the games that I watched, just things didn't pan out, right? He had a lot of cool ideas, but Sox was like playing stuff, which one one spot will show you, so I'm going to save that for later. Another was like he opened built different one into blue buff karma into a fast eight trying to play flexible like Jade. And I was like, dude, this is not the set for this, man. This is not the set. Like. Yeah. He landed fourth, and it's because he missed on everything. And that was kind of the, the way he defined it. He had a scale scoring game where he was on like seven Dianas, eight Olafs, eight Lilias for like the longest time. Just like it just felt, it felt like a really unsatisfying day for Sox. But I don't think he played poorly. I actually think within the spots where he was like kind of low rolling, he still kind of pulled out like a miracle first and some really good miraculous top fours like that built different game. Um, so I still gave him a solid seven. And I think that's all we really yeah. need to say. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Uh, let's go to Ramblin' and Robin, kind of holding hands at 6.5. Bryce, uh, why don't you start us off here? Uh, I mean, very different stories. I think I'll probably talk more about Ramblin' and you talk more about Robin, maybe, sure. because I think Ramblin', um, he I, I ranked him very highly in my power rankings, and I think I overestimated the extent to which he had invested in prep for the tournament. 
I think that he played pretty well from a from a micro perspective and like was predictably very clean as Ramblin always is with his play. But I think that like his his read on the meta coming in and some of his macro decision making was a little bit off. Um, so I, my guess is that in hindsight, like when he studies this, he probably says he finished exactly where he was supposed to finish, yeah. right? Like he's probably like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that I came in with a good enough understanding of this patch to, to top one. I just didn't have that level of investment in me right now. Yeah. And it's, it's exactly what Bryce said. I think it's an, it's more of a motivation thing here for Ramblin. Obviously he's going to try to do his best, but he also doesn't want to force himself to the point where he does, he like hates competing. Right. I think we've seen people do that where they try to push through. And as a result, uh, that, that gamble ends up putting them to past the point of burnout and then it's too late. So, you know, Ramblin still showed a lot of promise, like you said, very clean. Um, and then, you know, speaking of clean, Robin was also the same way too. I think Robin, for the most part, played clean. He definitely has some rocky moments, but I also feel like the reason why Robin didn't score as highly as some of his other friends above him was because I just noticed an uncharacteristic amount of mistakes from Robin um, it, where it just looked like he was lacking focus. It, it's wild because he would say something and then just not do it. And it was just, it, it was, it's, it's almost, it almost felt like uh, he just was kind of not in the zone at that point where you're, when you say you're going to do a play, and then you don't do it or you say you're not going to do a play and then you like do something else that's like that's kind of related to it it just felt uncharacteristic of him that being said he still had a great weekend so if he didn't make these like errors one he probably could have he probably maybe could have even won the tournament <laughs> who knows i mean he was he was kind of high rolling in a lot of was high rolling. Too. yeah uh, and two um you know it's, i i think that it's just not the environment to punish him but in mid-set and regionals it could cost him if that ends up showing up again so that's part of the reason why we dinged him a little bit more but overall still really good weekend for robin with the results yet yeah plus plus one for me i know we're already kind of going along in the segment so i don't want to yeah. uh talk if i completely agree sure uh Kurum. bryce you want to talk about Kurum real quickly yeah i think he just wasn't he just wasn't in peak peak form um Right, we watched a little bit across both days of him because he was like one of the players we we're trying to feature in on, and I felt like his play day three was like, you know, average or below average for him, and I thought his play day four was maybe a little bit of average or like you know right around average. I don't think that he would look at this tournament and say I played awesome team fight tactics. I think he made multiple not like crazy egregious mistakes but some of the stuff you're talking about with robin were just like wasn't always clean and then he had some macro stuff that i was like uh interesting that that's what we're that's where we're going from here mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so we'll see if you can uh, bring it up for msi but you know Kurum does seem like he's still within threat to always make it to that final day and that's what he was known for uh so we talked a little about solace kind of first race strategies there's moments where he just like took ancient archives and didn't didn't use them because he wanted to force Lilio three. Just like he has his pet comps and it was first or eighth. And you know, that's why he got a 4.5 in my book. Uh, and I learned my lesson, you know, Solus does well when he's underestimated, but when you put the yes. expectation upon him, the God of TFT just doesn't show up no matter how hard you pray. This is true. I, you draft him where <laughs> I draft him. First overall pick of the last round. Yeah. Yeah. He's, my, he's now my dark horse pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Jason Java. Now, Bryce, Jason Java made yeah. top eight, but you had some seething review about his gameplay when you watched it back. Oh, God. I've been kind... This is the only moment in the show that I'm, like, kind of been not looking forward to because I feel like I get a reputation on some level in this community for flaming people. Um, 
Okay, and I'm ready. I'm ready. I, well, the thing is, I just don't I, like. I don't I want back. that to be my. I don't want that to be my re reputation. Like, I I really try to look for the positive in people's play and hype them up. I think I hype up a bunch of different people. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I I watched his first three games, and and that was all I could watch. It was. Um, it's not that he's bad at TFT. If you are here. You are good at TFT. Period. If you're on day five, four of the of the Jade Cup, that's it. You are good at teamfight tactics. But man, do I think that if you put like the panel of our, you know, if you put like Bert and Pocky and Setsuko on these lines and that like showed them the spots, I mean, I think they would have like won this tournament um, like by a lot. <laughs> I, oh, wow. I, think, I think that he had good spots and i think that he made frequent mistakes in his macro in his micro in the playing of strongest board in his itemization decisions i it's not like again it's not egregiously bad i just think i just think he was probably below average relative to a day four jade cup player okay okay um yeah well I didn't get a chance to watch too much Jason Zhao, so I'm just going to take your word for it. And look, Jason, if you're listening or friends of Jason, prove us wrong. We're more than happy to correct you and give you a 10 if the next time you show up, you're, you're dominating. Also, I would, and I've said this every time I've ever talked, like criticized a player, I will happily go through the VOD with you if you, if you ever, someone shows you this or you were listening right now and you wanted to go through, I will give you two hours of my time three hours of my time to go through each of those games and talk about the spots i'm not saying i think i'm right about every single one of these spots it's impossible to do that when you're like armchair analyzing this stuff um but i i do think that there's a lot of room to grow in your play um and it would be a helpful session if you want to all right so that does it that covers it for jade cup looking forward to the mid-set performances Although I will say, Bryce, is that I think it's unlikely we're doing a mid-set review because of the Vegas trip, but we'll see. I mean, I don't know. I, I do feel like if there's enough demand, maybe, uh, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll organize something and Bryce takes a week off. Let's go to our third segment. This is a segment we like to call Wood Level Here. It's the segment where we take spots and we analyze them a little bit further. And so the first spot that we have is a spot with mismatched socks. So we set the context. It is stage 2-6. Socks clearly has no real streak going on in stage 2. It's stage 2-6 at the very end. Uh, and he is on... So he's on 2 lost. The Mirage is Spell Sword. And lo and behold, his shop is Elise, Elise, Tristana, Elise, and Shen. AKA, he has at least 2 in the shop. He has a Jewel Gauntlet and a Cavalier Emblem uh, slammed already. And I believe he also has... What's on the Aatrox? I, I, I can't actually see it. The Mirage Spat. The Mirage Spat, that's right. Okay. So with that said, do you buy Elise 2 here? Because it makes sense in theory, right? The Spell Sword stacks the AP. That is the scaling mechanic of Whisper anyways. He has JG. Elise could use it. What would you do here, Bryce? So we know what I would do here because we were watching this live and I went on the record in real time where i said oh that's a bait <laughs> <laughs> just point blank that's a bait but it was so fun because it was socks so you knew in the back of your head that like he kind of made us wait for it but i was like i feel like he's gonna make this but i look i played a lot of this elise unit and she is just not consistent enough of, of a three cost carry this is not like where lee sin was at when lee sin was like good in the meta early on where if you put a couple items on him like he was just gonna do a disgusting amount of working consistently win you fights 
this Elise unit, if she doesn't get resets, does fucking nothing. And it, and it's really hard to get resets if you don't have any scaling to her to her attack speed. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it was just these fights could not stall long enough for the Elise to do anything. And I think it was clearly incorrect to make this Elise. It, it's just too expensive as well. Hey? Yeah. It disrupts his economy. And as a result, the aftermath of it, Sox does buy the Elise too. Loses immediately and proceeds to lose streak all throughout stage three while being down nine gold because he invested into the Elise and has an awkward rest of the game. His final placement is a sixth. So quite unfortunate for Sox. That's that's one example of three that we have for wood level here. Hope you guys are enjoying it. The second one I think is a little bit interesting as well because it's a tough spot down the middle. The second one, we go to stage four or five. We're on Malala's POV. Malala, after Carousel, was winch, was doing a good job preserving HP up until stage four. Loses three fights going into stage four Carousel at four or five levels to eight. And this entire time has been angling for to play Spell Sword Mirage Deja. He slammed an RFC. He had the Cavalier Emblem that he played on set two with, you know, Hand of Justice. So by all means, in a pretty good spot to go for it. And it was very intentional with the way he was setting up his board to be open because he still had Cavaliers. His shop was two Dejas and a Shiyu, and he has a Shiyu pair. So he could either make Shiyu two or he could pivot into a Deja one but the thing is, the caveat is three other players are going into Mirage. So this is a really interesting question. Do you buy Shiyu 2 or do you pivot Deja and try to make it work uh, just with this board? What do you think, Bryce? I, I mean, I want to know not just how many Mirage players there are, but exactly how many Dejas are out of the pool. Because on Spells, Spells War was so broken that it feels totally worth contesting because Deja 1 is stable uh, in this meta, and a lot of people are going to be on Deja 1 because it's Spell Sword. And so if there are not, like, all of the Dejas out of the pool, like, if there, if there are, like, three other Deja 2 players, basically, or maybe two other Deja 2 players plus some, a couple with a pair or something, then maybe you don't go for it. But otherwise, I'm just dismantling this board and going Deja because I think Deja is so much stronger in the meta, and the items are also just super good for deja i mean right. you have a cav spat and an edge of night for yasuo eventually which is going to be a banana secondary carry so yeah I'm, I'm i'm pivoting i think okay you know so the reveal is the aftermath malala does make shiyu 2 does not buy the dejas he proceeds to win lose for the rest of the game and gets a solid fourth place but it was like a commanding fourth place when he got fourth he was behind by a good amount but he also was, you know, fighting like much more high HP than the rest of the people and just landed into the top four while other Deja players who were hitting. Actually, that's a good point to note for next yep. time, Bryce. I need to pull how many Dejas were out. I think it was like three or four Dejas already out by then. Um, and so it was a really tricky spot. But hey, a top I four is a top four. The question is, could he have improved upon it? Yeah, I also really like Riley's point in the chat that it should depend on what placement they need to go. I can't remember what game this was, but... There's definitely points in the tournament where you're like confidently over the point threshold and, and you just want to play more top four oriented. And it's hard to envision going worse than fifth with a soy two in that spot. And oftentimes you're going to top four like you did. You know what, Bryce? You're right. You're so right, in fact, that for example number three, we did exactly that. 
So for spot number three, we head over to Ramblin's Games, where it's day one or game one of day four, and the Mirage is Pirates, just to set the, sta uh, set the stage. We enter the stage 2-1 Augment portion, where he's offered Prismatic of Featherweights 3, Guild Crown, or Ancient Archives 2, and we put his board right next to it, which is a Yone 1, a Leona 1, and a Tarek 1 with a couple of non-pairs on his bench. So just kind of scattered all over the place. Did this screenshot originally have his bench items? I can't remember. Did I screw I might have screwed that I screwed that up. But I can't yeah, I think his bench items are important here, right? Oh, actually that's a really good point, and I should do that. I think you did. Oh, give I've it got it. Me. I've got it. I've got it. He's got a uh, sword and armor on the bench. So it's sword, armor, rod are his items here. Let me just transition because you're correct. I have the full version here. So it's sword, rod, and vest. Which augment would you choose? And for me, I'm actually really shocked that this is even a question. I think for me, I would choose Guild Crown to Heart because I think that uh, that the Guild Crest in general is mm -hmm. absurdly powerful. So that's what yeah. I would choose. If not, then I think I would re-roll in this spot. But fascinatingly enough, Ramblin chose instead, let me see if I can pull up the aftermath. He chose instead the Ancient Archives 2, and he holds tomes until stage 3. And this is not the first time this happened. Actually, this happened to Solus as well. So I'm curious, Bryce, if we're missing something. This is a line that I saw multiple players take. Uh, is this something that we're not open to that we should be? Uh, I mean, did either of the games go particularly well when it got taken? Because I no. don't remember. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, okay, here's what I will say. I feel a little bit of deja vu from when uh, China started playing a bunch of Mage Siphon and then all of NA was playing Mage Siphon the whole time. I thought it was kind of bad. And then eventually it cycled its way out. I've been noticing a lot of the Chinese VOD reviews that this Ogden gets picked a lot more often. And I'm wondering if there's starting to be influence on North America from players <laughs> watching China take this augment and seeing it work out. If anyone's going to be able to make it work, it's Ramblin because he's he's really good at doing this, at like figuring out what all the different plus ones and combinations of things mean. Um, so it's hard for me to look at this spot and like Omega criticize Ramblin for this. But I think this is an example of a time where his macro did feel a little bit off to me. Mm -hmm. I think it's Guildcrest every time too. And if it's not Guildcrest, I am rolling here. I don't think I would ever go uh, archives here. Right. And, and you know, so Chalky is talking about how you can manipulate it with really good odds because there's certain things you can't get it uh, on. You can't get Trainer Emblem. You can't mm -hmm. get Shapeshifter. So there's a lot of things that you could do. The only issue was that Ramblin didn't crack them open until stage three. So he basically took a full loss. And this is the same thing with Solus. And then by the time they did, they didn't land exactly what they were looking for off the tomes and then was not able to stabilize. Not to mention the Mirage was pirate. So Deja doesn't have that inherent stat boost that she's really looking for. So if you did find the Whisper or the Revel Emblem, it was going to be really hard anyways to stabilize when that happened. But that brings us to our next portion. There's a part two because we wanted to really make it feel a little bit more dynamic with this wood level here spot, which is we come up on the 4-2 augment. So now we fast forward. Ram's at 41 HP, sixth in the lobby, not looking super hot, is introduced with Think Fast, the Golden Egg, and Cybernetic Uplink 3. And the board is screenshot to your right already has the the deja with revel emblem a zeke's and a corky with a giant slayer uh, as well as the orn frontline and so the screenshot actually accidentally revealed this bryce we didn't yeah ask what it's, we it, it, yeah it's tough i actually couldn't get a good screenshot i could have gotten it from like before the previous round but that felt weird to me 
there was no moment where he, because he just cop, he just took it, right? Like he just wanted to play this augment. Uh, because that's the part of the thing about think fast is that it like if you don't take it immediately you basically can't take it right he did have reroll available here as well by the way um 41 hp egg feels tough i can see the argument for think fast here he feels like he's got a lot of opportunity to upgrade his board deja 2 gorky 2 he needs sonas he would love to have you know a, a different better front line that he already has orn 2 i can see it I think uplink is good here. I also think reroll is good here. So I think there's a lot of viable options. Yeah, I think, you know, uplink, it's a little bit worse when you're trying to play the Rebel Deja, but still, mm -hmm. like, the value of uplink in general is really good. It's the best cybernetic currently in the data. So, if, you know, for those data nerds, uh, like Milk in the chat, uh, you can put that in your little arsenal. But yes, he does end up choosing Think Fast. He pivots to Rebel and Bruisers. And he ends up doing like a win, but lose, lose, lose for the rest of the game. And ends up just kind of bleeding out to a seventh place. It's the first game of the day, so clearly he wanted to go big. You only have five games to prove yourself. But still, it just felt like even though he hit his board, he won one round and just kept losing from that point on. It just felt like Think Fast wasn't really the augment, I think, that would really give him that boost. I think I would have rerolled in that spot as well. Yeah, I think I'm uplink over reroll, but I think that's close. Oh, sorry, yes, uplink is as well. It's really good. I, mean, I just said it was really good. I did the wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, it's time. It is time. So that was wood roll here, aka WWBD. But now we go to some of the fun, lighthearted portions of the show. It is pog or frog. So this is the the way we do is we pull up a play and. We're basically asking chat, do you think it's Pog or Frog? But I think these ones are pretty self-explanatory. Let's start off with Shoundindian with Optimal Zeke's Usage. I like that you named the clips. Yes. Is there audio? Uh, I, think so. I can't hear it, but... The transitioning well, sells the Zeke's holder. No position oh, to play no. triple Zeke's. Oh, so what does he do? Yeah, Play round. the round without triple Zeke's. Oh. Yeah, oh, who dear. needs who needs triple Zeke's on your Deja <laughs> anyway? It's not like that's good. <laughs> oh, not great, Shoudian. That's okay. The, you know, we still had triple Zeke's, and I believe Shoudian still managed to push for a top two despite being yeah, like, just I lost my triple Zeke's. I'm there. fucking trolling. But you know, Deja with triple yeah, Zeke's uh, spell sword, pretty dang yeah, I just threw good. A our second clip goes to Robin Songs. Oh, I'm gonna play for Remover. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> oh my God. I need another oh, Deja. I can even. I can. So I can even swap. Oh, yeah, I might as well not swap. Has a hand of justice on a Yasuo, which he said, "Oh, I'm going to play for I'll remover." He removes the hand of justice, thinking that he could put the hand of justice onto his Deja, but Deja has three items, and he only has one remover. And so, at the start of the next combat round, he nah, just puts the hand healing. of justice back onto Robin the Yasuo because that was a complete I just waste. Remover, though. <laughs> Dude, the the moment where he realizes it is so good. It's like yeah. ah. That's right, that's right. So, it's okay. This is an example of what we talked about with Robin. Yeah. You know, the, 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 he was high rolling, the macro's good. He's, he's at 65 HP, he's leading the lobby. Wait! Uh, didn't need the remover anyways. 
But, oh uh, my yeah, god! No. I feel like we've missed. I need another Deja. I can even. I can, to, I can like, even swap. Make a joke right, about I might as well Robin getting early onset Alzheimer's. Like, <laughs> 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 do I block the Sonos? Like the, old, the old diff. This show feels real. Oh man, it's okay, Robin. Uh, I'm sure more dogs got you next tournament. Our third play goes to Shao Dindian again. The question is, do you lock for Pike Two here? Wait, these can't have been both been Xiao Dan Dan. One of them was someone else. I think one. I think the first one might have been Stellar Minhe. Maybe we'll have to look that up because I remember only one of these plays was was Xiao Dan Dan. He has four gold locks. Wait, there's an extra gold. Could have bought the Pike too. <laughs> it was hiding behind the Aoshin. The rolls down has Pike pair finds a third Pike for four gold in the shop. And it turns out right below the tail of Aoshin, who's taken up three hexes, there's one extra gold piece. He could have bought the pike too. And then goes into the fight with just a pike one. Yeah, wow. and I, I love this clip because we've all missed gold before, right? It's happened to all of us, like something's hiding underneath. But I've never missed the, the like, I, had, I was one gold off the upgrade to my two-star, three-item legendary unit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, this is going to cost him the tournament. Like, he's 14 HP. Like, this is such a big deal. <laughs> oh, man. God, these are Brutal. too good. I, I watched these clips like 10 times, and they still crash yeah. me up. But yeah, this the... next one, Bryce. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, God. This, this next one. Casper Wu with godlike Hecarim ultis. With BIS Hecarim, Blue Buff Hecarim, Morello, and Assassin Emblem? Whoa. Oh, my God. The best part about this clip for me. <laughs> it also is that single we... Soraka in the corner. When we went to his board, I was like, hey, why is this assassin's bat on this Hecarim? Doesn't this make no sense that you have blue buff assassin Hecarim? Won't it always just basically cast its ulti off the map? And then he just full does. He just puts it on the corner on one unit and just full sends the ulti. If, if, if Hecarim jumps into a corner that no one's in, right? If no one yeah. has something yeah. in one corner, they full clump then Hecarim will get a crazy reverse alt onto the Hecarim, onto the front line. But this case did not. The blue buff assassin Hecarim jumped to the single Soraka in the corner, ults just the Soraka and the little legend behind it. And uh, as a result, Casper did not get the ult he was looking for and I believe finished fifth place in this game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this one was pretty funny. This is right. a good one. All right, and this last clip that we have is Rainplosion with the five-head Sona. Man, this one's good. You said Chalky did this as well. I had not seen this until this tournament. This is so clean. Yep, puts the Shoujin uh, Sona top left. She shoots top right into the other Sona, but nicks the Corky that's in the middle, because normally when you put Corky two from the the corner, it's safe from the Sona ult, but because she frontlined it had a better angle to repeatedly hit the enemy Corky and as a result swung the fight by stunning it three times. That was an actually pretty cool play. This is a really, really cool one because it gets extra mana generation from this bard auto attacking it meaninglessly for the whole fight. And so it's just chain casting with this Sojin. And this is a matchup she's supposed to lose too, right? Corky is favored into the Jade matchup. 
Um, and so the fact that she's able to do this unbelievably clever positioning like makes placement differences. It's so, so good. Absolutely. And it's a small difference of winning a fight or losing a fight that can give you plus one, two placements, which gets you that tiebreaker or gets you that point to this move on or to even win the tournament. Oh, I showed you that three points here. really can make all that difference. But, um, at least my zone is so there you have it. Pog or Frog. Those are your five that made it. We don't really have the voting portion of it because quite frankly... There were a lot of there were not a lot of pog plays this past weekend. <laughs> there yeah. was only there's a lot of frog moments. But if you did have a pog moment for the next tournament, please show us because this is just the stuff that we glean from bod reviewing or co-streaming. Uh, some really cool moments and also some uh, some really silly moments as well. And it's worth noting that at the end of the set for our recap episode, we're gonna do like we'll show all the pog the top pog mm. from each episode frog from each episode so rain auto qualifies for the last one because she had the only pog worthy yeah, play of right. the, uh, so that play will be up for play of the set at the end that's right and maybe you can submit it to aces tier list he had a clip i should have pulled that up yeah. actually he had like a tier list of tft oh clips. fun definitely a good stroll down memory lane that brings us to the end of the podcast it was a kind of a shorter one for review but you know it's something that we want to be a little bit more timely and punchy about so coming up next, we've got the mid-set finale. It's in a week. The host will be Casanova. Casters will be Frodan, Bryce, Admirable, and Keen. That's right. Mean Mr. Keen. You may know him from writing for LLE Sports or for players or even just his poetry. Or maybe that guy that's high rolling on ladder. Probably all of the above. Keen's going to be joining us uh, on the talent desk for next week. And you know what? Speaking of next week... Drum roll. We're going to do another episode. That's right. Four weeks, four episodes of DTI YDK. Will Bryce and Frodan ever get to have their personal lives again? Find out next time. We're going to have a mid-set finale preview with an actual power rankings. Our guests are going to be Solus and either Dish Soap or Pocky Gum. It kind of depends. We wanted to ask Dish Soap first because uh, just based off his momentum in tournaments. But also Pocky Gum could show up. It depends on scheduling and, and availability. Uh, also, I really hope you asked Pockygum because I know he's in chat, so if this is the first time he heard about it, this is kind of awkward. So, uh, slash Pocky, if you would like to potentially join, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> because I think it was the we were supposed to lock this in before the show started. So No, no, no. I intentionally hadn't reached out to Pocky yet, but that's okay. It's a great way to find out, Pocky. We want you <laughs> on the show, buddy. All right. Well, uh, people are tagging Pocky in the chat right now. Make sure you don't miss it. Uh, also, I, actually, I, didn't, I didn't create a graphic for it, but this weekend is the China's Dragon Cup. Mm -hmm. So China's having their own official circuit tournament, and it's happening at 3 a.m. Pacific. And what did we say? We said, fuck that. That is way too early in the morning. So what we're going to do is stream it later that day. So you know, normal tournament times, I'll be doing a VOD review of kind of watching the Chinese tournament uh, on my channel here if anybody wants to watch along so we can see how China's approaching their current tournament heading into their mid-set finale. All right, Bryce, here we are at the finale of the show. Let's just awesome. wrap it up. You and I proved we can do an efficient show. This is the first time we've ever kept a show to the uh, actually appropriately allotted time for the show. We're it's lit. going so long. I mean, part yeah. of it was that... Uh, we i think we we're just more organized with the show this yeah. time around which totally. if the show's like this i think we can do it more often right like it's not super high commitment in that sense but uh the vod review stuff definitely takes a lot of effort so thank you so much for helping yeah. out on that one 
for sure. It was a super fun show. Had a blast. All right. So uh, with that, uh, that does it for this episode of DTIYDK. We're going to upload to YouTube as well as Spotify and Anchor and every other platform. So thanks for watching. From Frodo and Bryce, this has been DTI YDK Episode 9 J-Cup Review, and we'll see you next time for more TFT action. Peace.